So I have great expectation this morning. My expectation is that as you guys leave here, you will go and share the gospel. Is that a, a reasonable expectation? Well, it doesn't normally happen. <laughs> Many people go to church on Sundays and they come back. But in this time that uh, Alan has decided to spend the time on discipleship, and uh, I'm just going to share this morning uh, my take on the gospel, the things that shifted my life and what I used to share when I shared it. And the purpose of it is discipleship. And in this process, I'm so pleased that John is here this morning. Because I was afraid 27 years ago or so, or thereabouts, when I met John. And uh, we talked to the Campus Crusade office in Pretoria, and they said to us, better talk to Durban because you're in that area. And they gave us John's number. Me and our Durbany, we went to see John, and we met him, I think, in Richards Bay or somewhere. Uh, and they got involved with our church. And John and three other of his team members came up every Sunday for a year to pray it, to disciple about 30 of us. Today I want to say thank you, Lord, and thank you, John. Discipleship has a price on it. It takes a sacrifice. And it goes beyond just sharing the good news that Jesus died for. So, my question, first question, I'm going to ask you many questions today. The first question is, what's your expectation of today? If you have no expectation, you'll walk away with nothing. If you have a great expectation, you will walk away with a lot. So, there was a story in the Bible in Kings somewhere uh, about Elisha, who went and asked this widow for some food, and she said the only thing she had was a bit of oil, but her creditors were going to sell her sons to pay her dead husband's debt. And all she had was a bit of oil. So Elijah said to her, go into your house and get your sons to collect all the empty vessels they could, and uh, then start pouring. Now, you, now, hopefully you know the story. When did the oil stop? When all the vessels were full. So what is the size of your vessel this morning? Is it a thimble? Is it a cup? Is it a bucket? Is it a drum? If you want the oil to flow, get a vessel. Jojo tank. <laughs> Swimming pool. <laughs> okay. Something else. Who can see what this is? It's money. It's a five rand coin. And you know, we did outreaches with the Jesus film, many of them. And we showed the gospel. And how many coins have I got here? Just one. So in that process, we were sharing the gospel with people and say, this is the gospel. I'm taking this as an example of the gospel. And what is written is here is Jesus died for you. 
Jesus died for you. We showed the Jesus film. And many times we shared the gospel. But guess what I saw in that process? When I'm sharing this with you, what do I see? I see the other side of the coin. And today I'm going to flip this coin and share the other side with you. What happened to me in the process? So, uh, I just need to put my jacket back on. Because, you know, uh, last Sunday, I watched Alan. He had to be properly dressed before he could <laughs> do the sermon. And Milan came up and fixed his collar. Is it okay, Milan? So, uh, we are today caught between two scriptures. And I, I want to read these scriptures to you. The one is Matthew 18. Uh, so, Matthew 18. Uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And then he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, this was not revealed to you by any man, but by God my Father. And on this rock, I will build my church. So the question is, who is going to build the church? Jesus. Ah. So since I've become a Christian, I've attended church growth seminars and church planting seminars and training. Everything about getting the church to grow. And whose job is it? Not mine. So I gave up going to all those seminars. And the other scripture is in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 22. Uh, 18 to 20. And it says, go into all the world and make the people my disciples. Baptize them and teach them to know all that I have taught you. Oh, somebody picked up that I intentionally slipped in an error there. Who else picked it up? So, go into all the world and make the people my disciples. Baptize them and teach them to know all that I have told you or taught you. Teach them to obey all I have to. So, it's not about knowing, it's about doing it. So, about whose job is that? Go into the world and make disciples. That's our job. Now, this is why I've got my jacket on back to front, because we as a church universally have got this back to front. We want to build the church, and we expect Jesus to disciple the people. So if, if you want to change, get, you see how awkward this is. You see how empty the churches are. Now, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not prevail Against it when he builds his church. Is the gates, are the gates, what is the right English tense? Are they prevailing? 
to my mind, they're standing up fairly well. I mean, we struggle to make a dent with the gospel, but we've got the wrong plan. So, today I want to fix this. So, Lord, build your church, I pray. As we start making disciples, and the first step in discipleship is usually building a relationship, and somewhere along that relationship, Jesus will walk across the bridge from my heart to somebody else's heart. And you need to figure out what your bridge looks like. I'm going to share you, share mine with you. So, Today is interactive. I want to ask questions and you can respond and react and even argue and differ. So, let's see. Um, I'll switch it on again, yeah. But, so where do we start? Uh, I'm Afrikaans background, so I need some information from you about two words in the English language which to me are confusing or were confusing. So, the words are eternal and forever. So, what's the difference between eternal and forever? Hmm? Not much. Okay. This is the problem that we have out there. That people don't see a difference. So what is the difference? <laughs> Eternal goes both ways and wherever goes forward. And forever in the past? Forever gone by? <laughs> so what is the difference? Yeah, okay. So, thank you. The point being is we're trying to reach people to have eternal life. And we don't know the difference between eternal and forever. So, the point is there's eternal life and God is eternal. Forever is a hell of a long time. Sorry, am I not to say? It's a very long time. I know. <laughs> but it's being avoided at all costs. <laughs> so, eternal, God is above time. We are caught in times. If you've seen these rats running these little wheels, we caught like that in time. And there's never a perfect time. It is always just what I said now is in the past and what I'm going to say is in the future, but it's now and now it's gone. So, we struggle to get into the perfect present. But Jesus said, before the world was created, I am. And we say, his grammar is up to. <laughs> but to him, time doesn't matter because he's above and beyond time. He spans time. He can play my life like an LP. And he can play the first cut and the last cut. And he can decide which is amusing to him today. So he's above time and we are caught in time. 
An eternal life is a life that is not limited by time. Time is not a factor. It's like I can move in two dimensions. I can walk forwards and backwards, and I can move sideways. And I can fly when I get into an aircraft, and I'm in three dimensions. And when I can move in time, I'm in another dimension, but we're not there. Hopefully, we will be. So, this is usually an interesting discussion. And then, we grab a piece of paper. Can you see that? Um, God is without beginning and without end. Is that visible? Okay, great. Because every time I look this way, the sun gets me. And in the beginning, now this is of time where the Bible starts, God made us like this. Technology, this is as you say. So this is very promising. Because whenever something significant is about to happen, the enemy is about to try and stop it. (laughs) Never discount him. So I'm going to draw a triangle there where Adam and Eve were created. Now, the reason for the triangle is that's how I draw a person. And because we've got three types of life. We've got a living body. Is that right? Animals have that too. We have a living soul. Mind, will, and emotions. We can think and feel and decide. And we're supposed to have a living spirit. A spirit that is alive. So, in the beginning... Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They were there, and they communed with God. And they had fellowship. And then what happened? Yeah. The enemy who we were talking about just recently arrived. And I want somebody to represent Eve here. Just anybody, any lady preferably. A role player. Okay. Right. <laughs> just, just stand on this. Side. As we were saying, no pun intended. Uh, Eve scripture is there, so. So, I'll, I'll play for now the devil's advocate, if you excuse me. So, the devil came to Eve and said to her, Did God really say, you may not eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman said to the serpents, We may eat fruits from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruits from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Thank you. And the devil replied with his first lie, you will surely not die. And then he put some bait on it. That's the hook. Death. 
And the bait was a bit of truth because you will become like God, knowing good and evil. Wow, what a temptation. I can be like God. And Eve decided there and then, this self-improvement course she's going to enroll. And she will try and get better. To be like God, because God is really special. Irrespective of the fact that he said don't. And then she ate. And she said to the devil, you can eat, we, God said we can eat from all the trees, but not from the tree in the middle of the garden. And now she's decided to eat and give some to her husband. Now what happened next? They heard God walking in the garden. And what did they do? For the first time they hid. They figured out they were naked and they were ashamed. Now I want to ask you a question. This one is for everyone to raise your hand. Who knows the difference between good and evil? Who doesn't know? <laughs> okay. Well done. Uh, the point being, <clears throat> the fall, I want somebody to represent a tree. Anybody? A man, preferably tall guy. I need a tree. So you can just, can you just stand here? Hmm? Oh, no, no, I have other fruit. I have other fruit. Now, I want two people to represent the good and the bad, good and evil. Please. Any two. Quickly, quickly. Okay. So, if, will you represent good? Just sit there and face us. And if, if you don't mind to be evil for now, just sit there and face that way. So, here is the fall depicted. The tree, can you hold your arms like that? So, sorry, only two branches today. But two types of fruit, good and evil. Is this still biblical? What does that depict? And what does it represent? What is it called in the Bible? It represents the? The fall. So the world looks at it like this and says, okay, the line is here in the middle. We all like good and we don't like evil. Is that right? <laughs> Some people love evil and hate good. So, okay, but we're there. That's where the line is. That's where the world is judging from. Give me two other words for good and evil. Right and wrong. Or, uh, I'll ignore that one for now. <laughs> yeah, but it's good and bad, right and wrong, light and darkness. Well, essentially, the shift I want you to see today is it's the knowledge that's the fall. Not the, either of these two. It's the knowledge of this. You can stand up. We love good. And it's the knowledge of good is the fall. 
and the knowledge of evil is the fall. The whole world has got this dividing line here, that if we're on this side of the line, we're fine. If we're on this side of the line, we're going to go to hell. Is that right? The fact is, we missed where the line is. Just hang on. There's another tree in the garden. The tree of life. The line is here. Oh my goodness. All our goodness is taking us to hell. This is the dilemma of the world out there. That people believe that if they're good enough, they go to heaven. They don't need the other three. And the first revelation we need is to understand that this is the fall. So when you put up your hand at the beginning, and you say, I know the difference between good and evil, it proves that we have a fallen nature. We all partake in the nature of Adam and Eve. And unless we understand that and get that, the gospel has no point to us. There's no reason for trying to get out of it because I can be good. That's the law. The law tells you what's right and wrong. And if you want to read in Corinthians and so on what the law cannot do, you'll be surprised that it cannot save you. The law is a curse to us. It's just a, 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 a fruit of right and wrong written down in whatever way it rules, laws, constitutions. And if you ask the question, what is the right thing to do? Which tree are you picking from? What is the right thing to do? Versus the wrong thing. The question takes us to the tree that produces death. This tree is, through Adam, death reigned. And we are going to sow death when we answer that question. So we have to change the question we ask. Instead of what is right or wrong, what should I do here? People often ask me that question. Don't answer that question. Say, the better question is, what will bring life? What will bring life to me? What will bring life to you? What will bring life to our relationship? What will bring life to our relationship with God? Now we're eating from the tree of life. So the purpose of what I'm Sharing with you is just a diagram. And can we have the flip chart? It's much better than this thing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Just here. So, thank you very much. So, my expectation is that you should go out and share this with people. That's why I'm taking time to expound it and break it down into simplistic terms because this is what made sense to me when I got this. And I had a philosophy way back that whenever I didn't understand anything, I would pray and say, Lord Jesus, please show me. And sure as anything, within a week or two, I would read or hear or somehow get an answer. 
And what I'm sharing today is the answers to my cumulative questions. So, God is without beginning or end. God is eternal. So the top line is about God. And the only thing I focus on is He's eternal. He's different from us. We're stuck in time. Then God created Adam and Eve. And they looked like that spiritual spirit, soul, and body, and they were in a relationship. They were connected. Now with the fall, what happened, we heard the story, they ended up here. Now Adam and Eve look like this. This is supposed to represent death. They're only soul and body. And now, many years later, I'll draw it like this, I was born, and when I was born, I was just little. But I look like that too. Can you see? And when I got bigger, I still look like that. And my destination was hell. So, and these are all the generations. I won't mark all of them, just the main ones. Between Adam and me. All the So this line is about the fall, and this line is about us. And when the fall occurred, there was a major gap, or a chasm, or a divide between us and God, called by sin. Now, what is the difference between sin and sins? Okay. Sins are the fruit of the tree. Sin is the root of the tree. We are sinful creatures by nature. And sins are the things we do because of that. Now, you can strip a lemon tree from all its lemons and say, I curse the lemons, I bless the oranges, bear oranges. What's going to happen next year? Lemons. Because the tree bears lemons. It's its nature. So how do I change that? It says the axe is already at the root of the tree. That's a scripture. I forget where. It's what something Jesus said. Because you have to chop out the tree and replace it with an orange tree. Then you'll have your oranges. So in this state, we were separated from God, and now we often hear one half of the gospel and say, come back to Jesus so you can be here and connected again. But there's a big no-entry sign here. And the this, this sign says, I am the way and the truth of the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Christ. I'll get back there now. So, <clears throat> let me just put this further back so those people can just, Can you see there? I think this is in the way. Yeah, 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 but it, I, I get it. So, what 
did Adam and Eve lose when the fall happened? They, they lost fellowship with God. What else? So they lost life. And what does life represent? More intangible terms. Save time, I'll give it to you. They lost their sense of belonging. Their sense of identity, we are children of God, we walk with God. They were chased out of the garden, they were disinherited. What else did they lose? They lost their sense of worth. And what else did they lose? They lost their sense of power. Now, if you look carefully, we all want to have those. We want to feel we belong. We come to Sarepta every Sunday morning because we feel we belong here. We find belonging in people. We want to have some worth. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be sort of seen. We want to be significant. And we want to be able to accomplish something, to be successful and powerful in this world. So these are the main things we lost. And because of that, now we go back to Scripture, Genesis 11. What happened there? It's about 15 generations later. We have the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, what, is, what did the people there say? God said, go into all the world, rule over it. And they said, they saw as they were going east a plain in Shinar. And they said, let us stick together. And let us build a tower that will reach to the sky and make a name for ourselves. So they built a tower. And God saw that and he was upset and confused them, their languages and they got messed up. So this was the first church plant. <laughs> so you had the steeple and the people and all together. But it's the root of religion. Is In every religion you will find people will do whatever they have to in their own strength. They will sacrifice or they will do rituals or whatever to somehow bridge this gap back to God, to somehow reconnect with God. And so we have different forms of religion, and they all have the same thing. It's our efforts to appease God, to belong, to be worth, and to be powerful, and to, to know we're connected. Because we've got this God-shaped vacuum of death inside us. We, we want life. And intuitively we know it's there. But this is our way of finding it. So I have no way of knowing what I skipped. So <clears throat> the, one, the one question I did skip is, what is the kingdom of God? Come on, this is an easy one. Where God is. Where God reigns. So, how do you know if you're in the kingdom of God or not? 
right. And that's not the drizzle outside, but who is king. Because we want him as savior. That's our fire insurance. But we need him as Lord. Because he's inseparable. He's both savior and Lord. We can't just have the one without the other. And the attempts of religion, and even Christian religion, is to do this, to attend church, to tithe, to do a lot of things, so that you may be. And it can easily be religion. So all of this is religion. Yes, yes. I was thinking of that even then. And here we are. And by the way, we open the sails and we're in the harbor. This is where the mess happens. More complicated, but we will not go there. So, in the beginning, this is what God did. He created it. That's what the devil did. This is where we ended up going to hell. And then, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Jesus came. He lived for about 30, 33 years. And then he was crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended. And this was cancelled. So, Jesus was born of a virgin. Do you actually believe that? Do you expect people that are out there to just take that on face value? They won't. Why not? It seems impossible. So my question to you is why? You see, when Jesus came, he looked like this. He didn't look like this. He looked like that. So why was Mary, who was looking like this, allowed to be his physical mother biologically? And Joseph, who looked like this, was not allowed to be his father. Yeah, and so in more detail? Yes. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever fried an egg? Have you ever fried a free-range egg? Have you ever seen on some free-range eggs there is a red spot? What is that? That's the sign that the rooster had been to visit. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is the truth. So, how many cells does this egg contain? How many cells, for those who are bi biologists? Hmm? How many cells does an egg consist of? One. One single cell, whether it's an ostrich egg or a chicken egg or a human egg the size of a pinhead. It's one cell. How much blood is in that cell? Nothing. It's the cell in the body that has no blood. To me, that was revelationary. So Eve, ach, not me, Eve, Mary, Eve was the troublemaker. Mary was able to 
be used by God, and her donation was one single bloodless cell. And God made sure that that started growing. And the red spot that was there did not contain the bloodline of Adam. And Jesus was born looking like this. Now what people don't know is that in the body, in the womb, the baby's blood circulation never mingles with the mother's blood circulation. Did you know that? So in the womb, the placenta is a, a, a number of veins coming from the mother's side and veins from the baby's side, and they interact so closely that through osmosis and diffusion, the nutrition and what has to go this way and that way happens. I don't know all the terms for it. So that baby, when it's born, has never had a drop of its mother's blood. So Jesus' blood was precious and pure and sinless. He didn't carry this, and he didn't carry this. And he came. So let's just go back a moment in time. So where were you? We, remember, we're in time now. Where were you when Adam and Eve sinned? In the, in the mind of God. Wow. It sounds great. But <laughs> it might even be true. <laughs> So let me ask the easier question. Where were you when your parents went on honeymoon? No, no, not a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> you see, we have to think biblical. You, you, you have to expect that the Bible is our frame of reference when we deal with these matters. We cannot say we're going to apply uh, science or university or whatever other stuff. We've got to take the Bible as our reference. Now, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and it was the Levi, Levi was the, the father of the Levites. They became the tribe of priests. That's roughly okay, Jonathan. Yeah. <clears throat> so, it says in Hebrews 7, I think, verse 10, that the Levites, when Abraham sacrifice to Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek of which Jesus stemmed. And the Levites stemmed from Abraham. And Abraham sacrificed to Melchizedek. The Levites were reckoned to be in his loins, is what the Bible says. So the Bible reckons us to be in the loins of our ancestors, in their seed. So we were there when the fall occurred. And you all know right from wrong. You put up your hands. So that's the proof of it. We were there. What happened to Adam and Eve happened to us. And when I was a new believer, I found this verse in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. It says, test yourself if you are in the faith. Do you not know that Christ Jesus dwells in you? That's the test. Unless you fail the test. That's the answer. And I embraced that and I said, now I know for sure that I am a believer and I, Christ is in me. And that sealed it for me. But then we kept on running into this teaching of hereditary sin. And I felt that 
for me to be guilty of the sin of somebody else committed 6,000 years ago is just not fair. And I rebelled against that. But eventually, I realized what I've just explained to you, and I accepted that. But once I accepted that, I had a dilemma. And if you look at this drawing, that I accepted that I was in the line of Christ. I was in Christ, and Christ was in me. But here, this teaching teaches that I'm in this line. And I went to God and said, Lord, I resisted that, but now I've got to accept it. I was in Adam. Now the Bible teaches in the New Testament, where were we when Christ was crucified? In Christ, the whole New Testament is full of us in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in. It's an in thing. You were baptized into Christ in Romans 8. So I said to him, how on earth did I get out of this line and into that line? That was my question because it didn't make sense. I mean, there was so much prevention that went into being, keeping the bloodline pure. Now I'm just going from the one to the other. How? And that was when the Lord said to me, go and read what I did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to read that scripture to you today. It's Matthew 26 from verse 36. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us revelation as we read. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, so because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, as a youngster, when I started, from the very first time I heard the scripture, it was confusing to me. Because Jesus never flinched when they beat him, when they spat at him, when they put thorns on his head, when they made him carry his cross, through all that suffering, I dare to say he took it like a man. He was brave. He went to the cross. He didn't utter a sound when he was nailed to the cross. Like a sheep to slaughter. Who could do that? But here, in a garden, he seemed weak. And this day I had to answer this question. What was in that cup? That was so terrible that he flinched when he had to drink it. 
Any other ideas? Separation from God. So essentially, God's wrath. Essentially, the cup represents God's will for your life. And if we read, I think it's somewhere in Peter, through suffering he learned obedience. So Jesus was the only time he had a difference of opinion with his father. Did you know that? He didn't want to do this. And he had to yield to submit and obey. And he prayed three times for this not to take place. But the key thing is because of what? The cup. If your cup is sweet, drink it with joy. If your cup is bitter, drink it with grace. God's will for your life. And what was in that cup for him that day? Us. I was there with all my sin and filth and rubbish from the past, the present, and the future was in that cup. And when Jesus looked in that cup, he saw that. And he saw the sin and filth of every robber and murderer and prostitute and pimp and dictator and whatever you want to call them. From the first one, from Adam to the last one, they were all in that cup. And he had to down that and become sin. Because otherwise, if he hadn't done that, he would have been crucified innocently with no effect. He had to take our sin on him. And in 2 Corinthians 15, if you look at your bulletin, it's the last part of that first long quotation. The King James Version says, And God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became something that embodied all the sin of the world. And I liken it to the Ark of Noah. In Noah's day, there were, I think, eight people, nine people. In the ark, I think it was eight, with all the animals that went through the flood. Here is the ark of a new covenant. Jesus Christ took upon the population of the world from the first one to be born to the last one into himself. And he went through death and conquered death once and for all. And when Jesus died on the cross, what did he say the last words? It is finished. He says, I have killed every single human being. I have died for everyone, and so they have died. And their sin is paid for. So today, when we, this is an I, when we look back at that event, what can we contribute to our salvation. It was only our sin that made this possible. Nothing else. We cannot do anything to get ourselves saved. When we look back, we can just say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And so, 
the night before he was crucified, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, and the word is identified with all of us in our sin. And today when we look back, we can identify with him. In, his, in Gethsemane, the journey started. We connected. He took us on board. He took us through the suffering. He took us through the crucifixion. We went with him into the grave and up from the grave. And we went with him. And Ephesians 1 or 2, 7 says, We are now seated with him in heavenly places. And the relationship is reconnected. And our journey is from Adam through the fall to Gethsemane through the cross there. Does that make sense? So we have five things to remember. This is about God is eternal. This is about the fall. This is about the impact on us we're going to hell. This is about our efforts as individuals to reconnect. And then God did this. And there is nothing we can contribute to our salvation except to praise God for it. And now, when we accept and say, thank you, Lord, can we separate God as Savior, Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord? He's both. And he says, go into all the world and make the people my disciples. We often want to get people into church. I have stopped that. When we connect them with Jesus, they will eventually find community and fellowship in Christ where God connects them as he builds his church. And as if you, you've got to figure out your way of doing this. You can use this. There's no copyright on it. We have handouts here so that you can take one home. There's a picture of the diagram and the points. Prepare, pray for somebody, and then go and proclaim the gospel to them. And ask them what's the difference between eternal and forever. It's the one thing most people don't know and they're happy to talk about. Um, And when you, when you do that, the kingdom of God is manifest. May God bless you. And I pray that the light will break forth through broken vessels like me and you and touch the lives of people. May God bless you. Thank you.